Let's open to Genesis chapter 2. And as you're opening there, I want to talk a little bit about what we prayed about earlier. Um, as Chris said, we have um, a ministry. You know, we pray in this church that we'll have an impact in the city. Well, uh, watch what you pray for because uh, the city's coming to us. Uh, we're trying to have outreach. Well, the, you know, we've reached out and now we have 40 or 50 young people coming into the life of this church. And you say, number one, where are they going to sit? Uh, great question. And we're working on that, uh, but pray for us. We're actually looking at a facility this week. We, we are talking about uh, two services, um, but I think we're going to be good. We do not want to go to two services, uh, if at all possible. I mean, I don't think anybody does. Um, but we have an issue. If we have 50 more people in the next couple of weeks, we have an issue um, that we're going to have to address, and we are addressing. So pray for us. And, um, and yet, that's nothing compared to the blessing of receiving and having the opportunity to be a church home to 40 or 50 young um, people that may not have, um, you know, a church. Other churches have said, have said no. I, I, we could not say no. I mean, we don't know how it's going to happen, but we said yes, because we want to be a church home. Um, we want to, to impact this community. It's what we prayed for. And so now God's given it to us. And it's going to take some sacrifices. And one of the big things that we need, pray for Lucy, but do more than that. Sign up to help her with her elementary ministry because in about a week or two, her ministry doubles in size. Um, and, and she needs us. So we're going to have a sign-up sheet um, right outside those doors right after worship today. Please sign up. Uh, she needs you, and, and we need probably 10 to 15 more volunteers. Uh, there are some volunteers from another church, uh, a sister church in town, River Oaks Presbyterian Church, has been providing a children's ministry for those students at the church that they've been going to, and so they're coming and helping us out at least for a time, uh, but we need to take that over, and we just need to say, these are our students. You know, these, this isn't some outside group coming in. This is our body expanding, and, and we're taking ownership, and we're saying, yes, Jesus, um, we don't know how, but we're, we're, we're moving forward by faith. And so I encourage you to sign up to help Lucy and encourage her as she is, um, has a lot on her plate. Um, but think about the next 10 years as these students come and they learn about Jesus and they worship and they're loved on um, and, and mentored, and then they go out into the world, and, and, and they are different than what they would be if they had not been at downtown church. Um, it's an investment worth making. It's the investment that God makes in us, and we must pass it on. As God loves us, we must love others. Uh, so I'm excited, but be praying, and God's going to show us the way. Let's look now at Genesis chapter 2. We're dealing with the whole topic of relationships, a glorious mess. And so here we see it in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse um, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I, I hid. And he said, Well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers... He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to come, and we need you to speak. Father, I pray that you would meet us where we are. There are way too many scenarios. There are way too many variables for me to write a sermon that hits us all. But Holy Spirit... It's just no challenge to you, because you, O oh God, know us personally. You know us intimately. You know us better than we know ourselves, and you know what we need. You know the truth we need to hear. You know the grace we need to believe. And so, Father, I pray that you would come by your Spirit, and you would give us both truth and grace. Convict us of sin, and convict us or convince us of grace, that we might walk in the power of your love and the power of of the light of the Spirit and the very Word of God. And we pray this for the glory of Christ and the good of His church. Amen. How do we find the right one? Man. <laughs> it's messy. Relationships, a glorious mess. That's the title of this series. And I don't know that there is um, a, a better application of relational messiness than singleness. 
than dating, than courting, than trying to find out who is the one that God would have for me. It is messy. You look throughout the Bible and you see that. I think of the story of Amnon and, and Tamar. Amnon, a son of David, was convinced that Tamar was the one for him. We, we begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 13 of 2 Samuel. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. He was lovesick. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. It's a little strange in our day. But, but basically, in those days, um, when, uh, when a girl was a virgin, she was secluded for the most part. Uh, she was kept in hiding for the most part. She couldn't just go where she wanted to go because um, they were protecting her in their community. And yet, Amnon and Tamar uh, were, were half-brother, half-sister, which was an issue all of itself that we won't get into, um, but if you look at that, they must have grown up together. They must have played together. They must have had uh, family gatherings. And, and so they, they could be around each other. And so what happens still happens today, and that is that Amnon fell in love basically with the idea of Tamar. He didn't really know Tamar, but he knew that he wanted to know Tamar, and so he fell in love with the idea of Tamar, and that's not really love. And we see that. Because Jonadab, his friend, came to him and said, Look, here's how you can get some alone time with your half-sister. Why don't you tell your dad that you're sick? And when you're on your sick bed, tell him that, uh, that, that, that basically you want Tamar to come into the room and to care for you on your sick bed. And uh, so Amnon said, Okay, let's do it. And, and game on. And that's exactly what he did. And when Tamar came in the room, Amnon told everybody else to leave. And he began to tell her his feelings. And when he realized that she had not been dreaming about him, as he had been dreaming about her, he got angry. He tried to seduce her, and she pushed him away, and then he raped her. And we read, Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong in sending me away, or the wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Dear friends, we've got a lot of, a lot of people sleeping together and producing babies and then finding out that they're not in love. We have a lot of men saying yes and a lot of women saying yes and then later saying this isn't what I thought I was getting into and I'm out. It's messy. And, and even if you look at, you know, the methods, I, I, I kind of, I better not say that. I mean, I, the, here's how we as Christians often approach this. We start talking about the method. Well, well, what is it? I mean, you know, the Western, you know, the Western model of dating is unbiblical, and it's from the devil, and you know, it's courtship. That's what it is, courtship. Or no, it, it, it's we need to go back to arranged marriages, or we need, you know, we're always talking about the model. 
But dear friends, one thing we do know from Scripture is that no matter what model that you have, if man is involved with it, it's going to be messed up. And just, if you don't believe that, look at Adam and Eve. Uh, that was the arranged marriage. <laughs> uh, Adam was alone. Adam was crying out for a helper suitable. And guess what? God was the one who walked his bride down the aisle, created her in his presence, even from his own body, and said, Here. I mean, you, you can't have a better model than that. And it started out great, and then it went downhill. You see, we can't just draw these principles and, this, and say, here's the right model, and if you just do it right, then you're... You can't just do that. It's messy, because we're sinners. And we're going to mess up whatever model we use. And so what do we do? Well, I want to begin by just laying the foundation. I wish I had all the answers. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but I do have a foundation to work from. And that's what the Bible gives us. And the first thing that we need to see is this. And listen to me, friends. There's only one perfect person or community, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> when we're looking for the right one, we have to get this. Now, hear me. Um, don't tune me out, all right? I want you to hear me. There really is only one perfect person. And you've got to believe that when you're dating, and you better believe that when you're married too. When Rachel and I met, uh, it was one of those Genesis 2:23 kind of deals. I mean, we were on a, a, a church retreat. Uh, we, we had fun that weekend, but we didn't really get to know each other. And then on the way home, a friend of mine had the hots for her, and he invited her to ride in our car that I was driving. I was, I was driving an old 1972, and this was old back then, uh, an old 72 Ford pickup, three on the tree. Some of you will know what I mean by that. Ray Charles knows what three on a tree is. And there are just three people in the cab. Rachel was in the middle, my friend was on the end, and I felt so sorry for him, but not really. Uh, because once we started talking, that was it for about three hours. I mean, it was one of those Genesis 2:23 deals. We just we knew that man, this is somebody that that we share the same interest. Um, I knew in my mind this girl is drop dead gorgeous, and uh, I mean she's the most attractive girl that's ever talked to me. So uh, <laughs> you know, I felt pretty good about that. Uh, she was athletic. And uh, to, to, to cap it off, she loved Jesus. She had become a Christian uh, a couple years before that, and I'd been a Christian about um, a year. And so the relationship went from there. Uh, but how did we know? Was it physical attraction? Was it uh, just commitment? What, what was it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you. But I can tell you this, whatever it was at the beginning is not what's kept us married. You see, whatever it was at the beginning isn't enough to base a marriage on. What you base a marriage on is that I'm in this thing more for Jesus than me. And He is my strength, not this other person. You see, we've got to put marriage in its proper perspective. I think it helps to, to understand that. Um, the reason that we can experience such goodness in marriage and, and we can connect on such a deep level with another person in a dating relationship or a courtship relationship um, or even in an arranged marriage relationship is because of God 
not the other person. You see, here's the purpose of another person in marriage. It's to give you a taste of God. Adam was incomplete, uh, not because God wasn't enough. When God said it's not good for the man to be alone, he didn't say, look, he wasn't making a confession, hey, I'm just not enough for you, Adam, so let's make a woman. What he was saying was, you aren't enough for you. Not, I'm not enough for you. And so what he did is he made a woman whom he could together know God in and through, and she likewise. You see, the height of, 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 of intimacy or um, deep connection that, uh, that Rachel and I have, it is the goodness of God that we are experiencing physically, emotionally, tangibly. And we are to say, oh, now I, we are not to say, oh, now I worship you because our marriage is so wonderful, but if our marriage is so wonderful, how good must God be? And do you understand, if that's what's happening in the relationship, then when it's not so good, we aren't crushed. <laughs> because we just understand we're sinners. And we just got to keep hammering it out. <laughs> we just got to keep coming together. We just got to keep working it out. We can't give up. Because God is good, our marriage can be good and will be good. We just got to wait it out. And we've got to work it out. It's what the psalmist in Psalm 34, 8 was getting at when he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the purpose of every relationship. That's the purpose of all things physical. Taste, experience, and know that God is good. But don't replace God with that thing or that person. You see, outdoor activity, hobbies are great unless they become your God. A spouse is great unless they become your God. I think a lack of understanding of this is, is, a, is a reason and a factor why some are not getting married, and I would say especially inside the church. Now, please hear me. Um, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Um, Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, modern people make the painfulness of marriage even greater than it has to be because they crush it under the weight of their almost cosmically impossible expectations. And friends, that's true, and I think the church can be blamed for that in a sense. I think it's the church. You heard um, Chris, and we've talked about this. And, and something that, that we are committed to do in this series is not make single people feel like second-class citizens because the Bible doesn't make single people feel like second-class citizens. But who has? Because most singles that I talk to that are Christians feel that way. Where? Mostly not in the workplace. In the church. Why? Because marriage is so good, we've built it up to be something so other, so incredible, that now we have relayed the message that, that, that you can experience not God in marriage, but you can replace God in marriage. And if you're not, then something must be wrong with your marriage. That is crazy. If that's your expectation, you are never going to find the right person to marry. Because who you're really looking for is Jesus. And I mean that seriously. And there's only one of Him. And you're not going to find Him here at this church. And you're not going to find Him in this community, I promise. 
You can take the good times and the good elements and know that the goodness is a true experience of who God is, but don't replace Him. Don't replace God with another person. And don't try to do that. This is why, and I've used this quote before, I think we need to hear it again because it, it, it's better in this, in this context. It helps to hear it again. John Newton, who wrote, uh, what, Amazing Grace and many other, he was also a pastor. He said, you think the biggest issue is the prospect of a bad marriage. But ever so much a danger is the prospect of a good marriage. Do you see? But why? Because there's something wrong with marriage? No, because there's something wrong with us. What we want to do is find somebody that is so good that we don't need Jesus anymore. That makes us always feel good about us. Well, guess what? A person doesn't exist. And if you marry them, or if you date them when you marry them, you're going to find out soon you didn't marry who you thought you married. So are you married to Jesus? Now that... I mean, what you're really looking for, friends is this covenant relationship. I mean, what you long for, and I see it. When I do a wedding, I get to stand up here and look at y'all. And I see people. I see single women, and I, I see... I don't see many men. We're just too dense, I guess. But I see it in the eyes of women. You love the vows. You love this first. You love when the bride walks in. You all look at the, the groom to see what he's going to do. But then you're listening to those vows... And you are drinking them in because we all long for somebody to say, I love you, whether richer or poor, for better, for worse, until death do us part. But dear friend, do you understand there's only one that can do that? And it's God. No spouse can do that. You will be let down. But that's okay. If you understand, it's okay. Because your real strength is God, not the other person. The second thing we need to know is that we need to be about our calling. I mean, if, if, if you're a single person here today, and even if you're a married person here today, and I'm going to explain that, you need to be about your calling, put your nose to the grind, and get busy with what God's called you to do. I have a neighbor who's a Navy SEAL. And about a year ago, a helicopter went down. And I think it killed 13, 15 Navy SEALs. And a bunch of those guys were his friends. He's here doing desk work for two years, and then he'll go lead a team uh, somewhere in the world and do, you know, crazy, crazy things. And as I talked to him, uh, he told me he took a day, and he went and grieved, and he got back up, and he's ready to go back into action. And you think about that. I mean, how can he do that? I mean, these were his friends. It's because being a Navy SEAL is not first and foremost about friendship. It's about the mission. <laughs> do you understand that? Now, nobody is closer than guys that have fought together and trained together. I mean, I'm not, talking, I'm not belittling their relationship. It's stronger than maybe any other relationship known to mankind outside of marriage. And maybe and a reason that many uh, SEALs and, and, and military people get divorced is because they feel like their spouse has a, already has a spouse. I mean, they are married because of what they've been through with another person. Uh, common experience. 
But the reason he can go back is because he's not ultimately about his friends, he's about the mission. Now, listen to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. The Lord God took the man, this is before Eve was created, took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, okay, he gives him a, he, he gives him a job, says go do it, then he gives him a command. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Notice the man is given a mission before he's given a mate. Single people and married people, your identity is never to be the man you're going to marry or the woman you're going to marry or the woman that you have married or the man that you have married. Your ultimate purpose is to serve God with what He gives you to do. And the very first thing that God gave man to do was to, here's a job, now go do it unto me. And here's a command. And so he, he, gives, um, he gives Adam Eve to have somebody who can, who can encourage him and hold him accountable, who can be a community. They can be one, and in their oneness they can face the work world, and they can face um, um, having children, and they can face uh, living a life for God. And they can be mutually encouraging to one another and uplifting. I mean, that's the design it's not that marriage is there and we just go to work to, you know, so we can make enough money to pay the bills and have a vacation. It's God has given us all work to do. Now go do it. And, and, and it's lonely, <laughs> you single people know, some of you. And so it, it'd be so much better if God would give me somebody who can share this with me, who can stand with me in the work that we're doing. We each have a calling. So get busy about the calling. I, I love the story of Katie Davis. 17-year-old girl, 18-year-old girl, Franklin, Tennessee, goes on a mission trip to Africa, comes back home and tells her parents that she feels called to go to Africa. Like, not after seminary, not after college, like now. And she does it. She's adopted 13 children. She's now 22 years old. She started a mission. This is what she wrote. She said, people tell me that I'm brave. People tell me I'm strong. People tell me, good job. Well, there's, uh, here's the truth of it. I'm really not that brave. I'm, really, uh, I'm not really that strong. And I'm not doing anything spectacular. <laughs> I'm just doing what God called me to do as a follower of Him. Feed His sheep. Do unto the least of His people. You see, we get it wrong, and it's why we're so disillusioned. We think it's God's job to bless our plans and to make us comfortable. And if He blesses that, I don't know that it's God. You see, He's called us into action. We're at war. And, and listen to this. This is the hope. We are to go into the world and to be light in a world of darkness through our job, whether it's raising children, whether it's working at KTG, whether it's working at uh, the University of Memphis Law School, no matter where it is, no matter what we're doing, we are to do it as unto the Lord. We are to give ourselves away and to be a light in a world of darkness. And dear friends, all of us can do that. In fact, those of you who may see yourself 
and a, and a more, you know, a lower job, or the culture may see it as a lower job, can do it even better than somebody that's making half a million a year. Let me tell you, nobody in this room that works at KTG just can't wait to get to KTG and get in that line. But let me tell you something. You get in that line and you die to yourself and you show people that you can be content and joyful and responsible and you can think about other people and not yourself there, then there must be something real about Jesus. You hear me? I mean, that's the beauty of it. Is all of us are employed in His service and we are sent. So go. Don't wait around. I love Katie Davis, the fact that she's a mother. She's adopted 13 children. She's never been married. Well, as we wrap it up, we get busy. What else do we do? I don't know. Those are the two positive things to do. Understand that Jesus is your real mate. And then get busy doing what God's called you to do and look to Him. But then I'm going to end with three, and I'm going to hit them quick. Uh, basically, how to not find the right person. Um, how can you be sure not to find the right person? Uh, I think that's what Genesis 3 shows us. is not how to do it, but how not to do it. And the first is this. The first thing you can do is hide behind a tree. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve seem to do. They sin, they feel shame, and they go into hiding. Has anybody in here never been hurt by somebody? Anybody in here never been hurt by the dating game? Anybody in here never had an expectation of somebody and been absolutely thrown on the ground? Everybody has. Listen to this quote. Rachel is speaking at a women's retreat in a couple of weeks, and she shared this with me. And I had to beg and plead for her to let me use it this morning. Uh, she wanted, anyway, uh, it's, it's just that good. Here's, here's the quote. If we reveal our authentic selves, there's the great possibility that we will be misunderstood, labeled, or worst of all, rejected. The fear of rejection can be so powerful that some wear it like armor. That's what Adam and Eve were doing. They hid from God. They hid from each other. And yet, what does God do? He comes after them. You see, we're all going to be wounded. And what's interesting is that here's the progression of Genesis 2. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. And then he sends him out to spend some time with the animals before he makes Eve. And he gets lonely. He literally relates to all the animals and all of creation, and God lets him get to the point where he goes, This is horrible. I mean, God, not to, not to, you know, not to offend you, but these animals just aren't doing it. I mean, he felt loneliness. There was incompletion in his soul. And yet, God allowed him to feel that. And I thought this week, and I'll say it in a funny way to make a very serious point, and that is this. I mean, it seems as if God lets Adam date some dogs, <laughs> some beasts, if you will. Ladies, have you ever been out with a beast? And you thought, why am I out? I mean, this guy's horrible. I mean, that's how, that's, how, that's how he felt. He felt the loneliness. And what God is saying is, don't run from the pain the fall drives us into hiding. 
The gospel takes us to each other. Why? Because we have a power, if we're in love relationship with God, we have a power to sustain an imperfect community. The dogs and the beasts who are mean to us. This is what C.S. Lewis had to say. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Dear friends, you've got to move towards somebody. You've got to move toward community. You've got to move past your hurt. And you've got to be willing to be hurt again. Marriage isn't going to fix that. <laughs> it's going to take you into more hurt. So believe Jesus now and move toward it. Secondly, if you don't want to get married, trust your feelings and follow your heart, not God. I was with Braden yesterday at Chick-fil-A and we came out and it was busy in South Haven and everybody in Mississippi drives a half-ton pickup truck. And so when we came out of um, Chick-fil-A, we were crossing the street and guess what? There were cars everywhere. And I was holding his arm and he was pulling against me. You see, we had just come from the indoor playground and he can't make a distinction between the playground and the parking lot. But it doesn't matter what he feels. It doesn't matter what he's crying out for. The reality is a truck is going to win over his body any day of the week. We just sang, uh, or we used the call to worship this morning was from Psalm 19, and we declared that we love the law of God. This may sound so simplistic, and I tried to think of a more intellectual and better way to say it this week, and I can't. Here's the, the best thing we can do in dating and marriage is just obey God. Don't, did you see what the devil did with Eve? He tried to make her think that she was smart. Did God really say that? He did, he's trying to pull one over on you. And so what he did is he made Eve think that she could change the law of God. Oh, friends, are we doing that in our culture? I mean, God says, and hear me, God says marriage is between a man and a woman. God says, love your wife. He doesn't just say, and I say that, I, I point out that to say this. Don't think that God is just dancing over joy because you've stayed married. He doesn't just say, stay married and oh, you've pleased me. He says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. He said, if you've been married 30 years, wonderful. But don't think that I'm impressed. <laughs> now go love your wife. Go work on your marriage because you ain't done yet. Do you see that? God says, if you fathered a child, if you birthed a child, take care of that child. God says so much to the family. And what we're doing today is trying to rewrite it all. I can't be celibate. I mean, there's no way I can be celibate. You try, and I guarantee you, you're going to find somebody to marry faster than you would if you're sleeping with numerous people. There's so much I could say here. 
Do you know, I love my wife. We, have, we will have been married 30 years in November. But I want you to know, it's been the law of God on many nights that's kept her with me and me with her. It's been nothing but, I said I do. And dear friends, that's not what we want. We want excitement. We want fresh. We want new. But God says, obey and trust me. And I'm going to make you what I want you to be. And I'm going to show you one day, someday, how good I am. And then finally, if you want to not get married, then give up on God. If there's anybody that should have given up on God, it would be Adam and Eve. I mean, you see it. And this woman you put here with me, I mean, my goodness, you gave me this woman and for this? I mean, there's anybody that should have given up on God, but what, is, what I think is so powerful about Genesis chapter 3 is that there is a Genesis chapter 4. They keep going. They stay married. They, they relate to God. And you know what happens to their first children? One of them kills the other one. You think they didn't know pain? You think their household wasn't under attack? You think they didn't have a reason to run? They caused the fall of the human race. And one of their sons killed their other son. They knew brokenness. Why did they stay? I think it's verses 8 through 9. Chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man... Where are you? <sighs> they caused the fall of the human race. I'm telling you, if I were God, I would have rode in on a horse with a flaming sword and I would have decapitated him and I would have said, I'm starting over. And what does God do? He comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he says, Where are you guys? Dear friends, Jesus came for sinners like you. He hasn't given up on you. Have you caused the fall of the human race? <laughs> I mean, He didn't give up on Adam and Eve. He's not given up on you. So don't give up on God. I can't promise you that you're going to get married. I can't promise you that you're going to stay married, stay married if you are married. But what I can promise you is that when you're down in the dumps and you feel like life has come to an end, God is going to come walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He's going to pursue you. He's going to long for you because you are His bride. And there is one faithful husband and His name is Jesus and He died for us. And He is the love that you and I long for at night. He is the love that we want from a spouse. And we have it in Him. And we're all going to know it completely one day, someday. And maybe we'll be married and maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be widowed. Maybe we will have never married. But it won't matter in glory because you will have the longing of your soul when you have Jesus. And what's beautiful is you can have Him now. Taste and know that God is good. The church is the place that you can be vulnerable. The church is the place that you can say, this is who I am. And we say, come on in 
Do you love Jesus? Because He loves you. And we let His grace change us, and we let His grace keep us together, and we keep moving forward because we are the bride of Jesus Christ. And He's coming back for His bride. So in that light, may we hold on, whether single or married, because He's coming. And we'll all see perfect, and we'll all know perfect, and we'll all feel perfect one day, because we will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we long for that day. Whether single or married, we long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you work in us in the meantime? Would you make us faithful? Would you make us strong? May we be faithful to repent. May we be faithful not to give up on you. Because we know you're not giving up on us. You're even after our children. (laughs) As we've seen this morning. God, thank you. Bless us. Strengthen us. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.